Well, last week we began a study in Mark's gospel, and this morning we meet the messenger who was sent to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. We call him John the Baptist, but that really wasn't his name. You know, even though the New American Standard Bible has Mark referring to him as John the Baptist, in the original language, he introduced him by simply saying, John, the one baptizing. He identified John more by what he did than by his name itself. And obviously, the messenger is more important than the message. The messenger is important, but what he did is the most important. And in recording the appearance of John, Mark also recorded for us the first appearance of baptism in the Bible. And since, again, what he did is more important than who he was, I want us to focus on baptism this morning more than John. And I want us to see baptism before Jesus, baptism after Jesus, as well as the baptism of Jesus. And we can see all of those in verses 4 through 11 of the first chapter of Mark, beginning with baptism before Jesus. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And in all the country of Judea was going out to him and all the people of Jerusalem. And they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. And John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist. And his diet was locusts and wild honey. John came in the spirit and power of Elijah. He even dressed like Elijah. He didn't identify with the religious leaders of the Jewish people living in luxury and dressing in regal garments. He appeared in the wilderness on the banks of the Jordan River preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. Now, as we've already noted, this is the first appearance of baptism in the Bible. We do find ceremonial cleansing in the Old Testament. And the priests were to bathe in the laver before entering the temple. Elisha did instruct Naaman to dip himself seven times in the Jordan to be cleansed of leprosy. But baptism as such first appears here in the scripture. That's not to say, however, that this is the first time baptism was practiced. Historians tell us that during the 400 silent years between the close of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament, Jews had been baptizing converts to Judaism. If a Gentile wished to become a proselyte, a convert to Judaism, he would have to do three things. He, and I emphasize he, would have to be circumcised. A sacrificial offering would be made on his behalf, and he would be baptized. He would be ceremonially immersed in water 
to signify the cleansing from sin, his, his past pollution and his uncleanness as a Gentile. Now, when this practice originated, the record isn't clear, but most believe that it was fairly common during John's day. What was unique about John's baptism, however, is that he was baptizing Jews, not Gentiles. People from Jerusalem and throughout all Judea were coming to the Jordan to be baptized by John, confessing their sins. You know, John had taken something the Jews were offering to Gentiles to give them forgiveness of sin and offering it to Jews. And they were responding. They were coming. Now, we often think of John as a, a fiery preacher con condemning everyone. And he wasn't afraid to confront the Pharisees with their hypocrisy or even Herod with his sin. But his primary message was not condemnation. His primary message was one of forgiveness. And the people were responding to it. They would not have traveled for miles on foot to be condemned. He was offering them forgiveness. And they were accepting it. Recognizing that they needed to be cleansed of sin before the Messiah could come into their lives. John was baptizing. But John's baptism of Jews must not be confused with Christian baptism. They're different things. In Acts 19, when Paul first came to Ephesus, he found some disciples there who had been taught by Apollos. And when he questioned them about the Holy Spirit in their life, they said they'd never heard of the Holy Spirit. Luke records his response and theirs. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? And they said, well, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him, that is, in Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. You see, there was a fundamental change in baptism after Jesus came. And John clearly stated that it would happen. Let's read on. And he was preaching, saying, After me is coming one who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, John recognized that his ministry was preparatory in nature. He came to prepare the way for the coming of Christ. His baptism was also preparatory in nature. It was a way for Jews to express their need for forgiveness and to get their hearts ready for the Messiah. And even after Jesus' ministry began, John's baptism was continued for a time. 
In fact, Jesus' disciples were originally baptizing more repentant Jews than was John. But that early baptism by Jesus' disciples was not the baptism John foretold when he said Jesus would baptize with the Holy Spirit. John's baptism assured Jews of God's forgiveness. But the baptism that would be initiated by Jesus would somehow bring them into contact with the Holy Spirit. Now, how that was to take place, Mark doesn't tell us. And our understanding of the Holy Spirit's activity in baptism becomes even more puzzling when we read in both Matthew and Luke that John said Jesus would baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. Luke even records John expounding on the fires of judgment after saying Jesus would baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. How baptism and judgment are connected, we're not told, but it's possible that John was warning about the consequences of not obeying Christ in this matter. We also see judgment and baptism and fire and the Holy Spirit connected on the day of Pentecost. You remember after the, the sound of a mighty rushing wind indicated the Spirit's presence, tongues of fire appeared on the heads of the disciples before the first invitation was given to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. We read of that in Acts 2.38. And Peter said to them, Repent, and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter was doing what Jesus had commissioned his disciples to do before he ascended into heaven. Go therefore, he said, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So not only were the disciples who were now filled with the Holy Spirit to baptize in the name of the Holy Spirit in addition to the name of the Father and the Son, the gift of the Holy Spirit was promised to those being baptized. Being baptized. See, baptism no longer simply assured the recipient that his sins were forgiven. It now also assured him that the Holy Spirit had taken up residence in his life, that he had, in fact, become a temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's no indication that the 3,000 who responded to Peter's invitation to be baptized on the day of Pentecost received any kind of physical confirmation that that had taken place. There was no miraculous sign to indicate they had received the gift of the Holy Spirit. The only miraculous signs that day merely confirmed that the apostles had the authority to promise the presence of the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit, to those who would be baptized. The evidence of the Spirit's presence would be seen as the fruit of the Spirit developed in their lives as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, 
and self-control became evident. Now, there is confusion about this gift of the Spirit and gifts of the Spirit. And when Paul rebaptized the believers in Ephesus, he did actually lay his hands on them and give them some special gifts. Gifts that were used during the formative years of the church. You see, when churches were established, after Apostle left, he couldn't leave them the scriptures. And so the Apostle would give to people within the church special gifts so they would know God's will for that church. I believe those were during only the formative years of the church. Those gifts, I do not believe, are the same as the gift of the Holy Spirit that's promised to all believers. The gift of the Holy Spirit is the Spirit himself. And it's his presence, the presence of God's Spirit that comes to inhabit us after we have been cleansed in the waters of baptism. When we're cleansed, our hearts are made ready to receive the Spirit of God. And he comes into our life to, to empower us, to guide us, to enable us to live that new life in Christ. But that aspect of baptism would only be possible after Jesus had come. And after the baptism of Jesus itself, verses 9 through 11. And it came about in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening and the spirit like a dove descending upon him. And a voice came out of the heavens, thou art my beloved son. In thee, I am well pleased. Why was Jesus baptized? Mark doesn't say. John was preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, and obviously Jesus didn't need that. Now, even John himself recognized that Jesus had no need for his baptism. Matthew actually records him saying, I have need to be baptized by you, and you come to me? Now, the really interesting thing about all this is that John the Baptist did not recognize Jesus as the Messiah until after his baptism. In John 1.33, we actually find him saying, and I did not recognize him, the Messiah, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. So when John said that Jesus had no need to be baptized, and that he needed to be baptized by Jesus, he was simply saying that Jesus was morally superior than himself, not that Jesus was the Messiah. And John did know Jesus. He knew who he was. Their mothers, you remember, were cousins. He had known Jesus all his life, and he could find no reason for Jesus to be baptized 
for the forgiveness of sins. What a testimony to the character of Jesus and the life that he had lived for 33 years. But still, Jesus insisted that John baptize him, saying, Permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus was baptized to fulfill all righteousness. But what does that mean? I really don't know. I really don't know. The scholars have come up with all kinds of reasons for Jesus to be baptized. Most suggest it had something to do with identifying with John's ministry, to affirm it, to support it, to be an example for others to follow. Some suggest it was to identify with the sins of the people because he would later take them upon himself and die for them. Others say it was simply to inaugurate his ministry and to be affirmed by the Holy Spirit and the Father. All these things have a ring of truth about them, but honestly, I don't know what's meant by to fulfill all righteousness. All I know is that it was the right thing for him to do. And his father did affirm it. A voice came out of the heavens, Thou art my beloved son, in thee I am well pleased. Your bottom line is that Jesus knew his father wanted him to do it, and he did it. I think it's possible that as a man, Jesus didn't even fully understand it. But he did it. And at the very least, we should do the same. I know there's a lot of confusion about baptism today. The waters of baptism have been muddied up over the last 2,000 years. Arguments abound as to its form, its significance, and its necessity. But if we wait until all the arguing stops, it'll be too late for us to do what we are clearly instructed to do. Now, it's not our place to question why we are told to be baptized. It's simply our place to obey. And we don't have to understand how baptism washes away sin. All we have to know is that it does. You know what Ananias said to Paul after he was confronted and commissioned by the risen Christ should be said to all who hesitate to be immersed into Christ. And now, why do you delay? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name.